Welcome to another episode of the Prime Philosophy Podcast. My guest this week is James Gearing. James was born in England and spent almost 30 years there before immigrating to the U.S. where he fulfilled his dream of becoming a firefighter. He's been a firefighter paramedic for over 15 years. He's a CrossFit coach and graduated from the University of Florida with a bachelor's in exercise physiology. James is also the host of the Behind the Shield podcast, which brings some of the greatest minds on the planet to the men and women who protect our communities. Like me, James is hell-bent on creating a healthier fire service. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for doing this, James. I'm excited to speak with you today. I've been a fan of your podcast, Behind the Shield, for some time. So I thought we could start with you telling me a little bit about your journey from England to the U.S. and into the fire service. Beautiful. Well, firstly, thank you for having me and congratulations on, on your podcast. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'll give you the, the real cliff notes. I wanted to be a firefighter when I was a kid. Um, and when I was, uh, I guess, teen-aged... I was told I was colorblind and I couldn't be a fire pilot, couldn't be a firefighter, couldn't be any of the cool jobs. Um, so when you're young, you kind of believe these medical professionals. And so uh, I put it aside, which is a, you know, a shame now looking back, but did a whole bunch of other jobs, lifeguarding, got into stunt work. Um, and then when I moved to America, I, I married a girl from Florida. I had this this second wind basically this there's no way in hell i'm colorblind i can see all these different colors so i there was a fire school right down the road from me i re enrolled when we did the medical for that they just said oh can you do the book i'm like yeah i can do some of the pages but the others i can't see um and he started pointing around the room can you you know what color is this what color is this and lo and behold it was fine so um i was almost let me see 27 by that point 20 27 28 um, and really that was it. So I've always wanted to be a firefighter, but that was how I finally, you know, walked through the door as it were. Okay. How old were you when you moved to Florida? Um, it was right around that same time. The, the funny thing was just by chance when we moved there, there was a, the fire department in Orlando, excuse me, the fire academy in Orlando was literally about four miles from my house. So about 27. Okay. And did you start out as a volunteer like most people and then work your way up? No, no, no. So it, I was very lucky in the fact that um, in this area, the Central Florida area, there's actually a lot of paid departments that were looking for, you know, people at that point. So when I went through school, we actually moved down to the Miami area. Um, and it, it's kind of a funny story because when I moved down there away from Central Florida, they were like, oh, you need to be a paramedic. You need to be a Spanish speaker. You need to be a minority, all these things that you know, the naysayers like to throw at you. Um, and I got picked up in about three months with Hialeah. So yeah, don't, don't ever believe people that tell you you can't do something. <clears throat> Absolutely. So how long have you, were you a career firefighter? Um, I've been career 14. I had this uh, kind of mid career retirement where I focused on the podcast for the last year. Um, and actually, I think this is the first time I said this on air, but I'm, I'm looking to get back in now. There's a depart very, very, very good department, um, very close to where I live, um, that I'm going to be testing for. I won't say the name yet cause I might not get the job, <laughs> but, um, uh, I'm looking to jump back in again and, and put a few more years on the clock. What have you missed most over the, this last little bit of time that you've been podcasting? Um, the, the, the camaraderie and, and the training, um, yeah, that, that's a big thing. I mean, I I didn't even really want to promote. You know, there's a lot of people that <clears throat> like to fly up the ladder. There's a lot of people that have the progression of my early career um, kind of, I guess, uh, layout was going to be 10 as a fireman, 10 as a lieutenant, and then like five as a chief. But I got to the fireman level and I'm like, I like this too much. I want to be the one kicking in the door, you know, climbing the ladder, going over the side on the rope. Um, and it's not some kind of, you know, uh, macho facade it's just I love that hands-on stuff so um, yeah I mean that, that that's the thing I think I really miss is literally just responding to the calls I don't miss the night the 3 a.m. tummy aches I'm gonna be going back to that but mm -hmm. um, yeah the, the, the I mean I'm sure you know what it's like when you drive home after shift and you know you truly made a difference whether it's actually a true rescue or whether it was just a, a back-to-bed call where you respo restored someone's dignity um, that to me is so, so rewarding. Being a firefighter is one of the best jobs in the world, but it's also one of the unhealthiest. What impact would you say that this job has had on your health and what have you noticed on this little time taking a break? 
Yeah, well, that's exactly it. It's, it's been a great perspective because I've got to after 14 years and that's 14 years of working in very, very busy stations. So all the departments I worked at were either the stations were either in you know, a very desperate area or they were just extremely busy. The last department that I was at. Um, and uh, so the the sleep deprivation, I mean, I talk about this all the time, but that was the biggest thing. Just that the effect of that on my mind, the effect of that on my body um, and I started to see uh, an increase in, uh, for me personally, in anger, like like almost like road rage. I wasn't actually ever acting on it, but just I'd just be triggered like immediately. Someone would cut me up, and I'd be ready to <laughs> drag them through the window. And that's not me. I'm normally a pretty chill, laid back kind of person. Right. Um, and then you know, as I'm sure a lot of people can uh, you know relate to, coming home, being exhausted, and in your heart wanting to spend time with your kids with your wife but just being like a zombie um and then physically as well i saw the body break down i I got a back injury about five years ago six years ago and then um both knees i tore my meniscus about a year apart and you know i was doing everything right i was doing the movement practice i was eating well so um that was the big kind of missing link for me was you can do all the right things but this job the way we do it, especially in departments that are, are 56, you know, 52, 48 hour weeks, we're setting our people up for failure. And then you add obviously the mandatories and things there. So when I got to actually retire for a year, I could remember stuff. You know, right. I, I, I could, I could, I knew where my car keys were. I remembered, you know, what someone had told me to grab at the store. You know, I remembered my my son's school events before they happened, rather than my phone chirping at me and realized I had 10 minutes to get there um, and that was a huge thing because when you look at the long-term health effects of that and in the short term as far as we're driving lights and sirens through traffic around everyone else's family um, it's pretty scary that the profession that people turn to when you know when they're having their worst day is also uh, in an environment that that really works against them being able to function at a high capacity because of these crazy hours that we work. Yeah, so um, I imagine now that you've had this time off, are you really prioritizing sleep? Yeah, and I and I always was. I think the the big, I, I'd be very you know transparent. The big um, vicious circle that I found myself in is my coping mechanism was alcohol, and never in an extreme way. I've never been a binge drinker. It's kind of funny when you when you grow up in England, you're brought you're introduced to alcohol very young. It's something that you you know you have wine with dinner, so there's never that whoa factor that we have here where you're held back till you're 21 and then <laughs> and then the starting you know pistol goes off and people are doing keg stands and um, but it was it was that you know unwinding at the end of the day, but that same alcohol is also terrible for your sleep. You know, it disrupts your sleep cycle. Um, so that's been a big thing for me is, is I've always prioritized it, but trying to really clean up as much as I can and really just catching up on sleep. Sleep debt is a very real thing. So I've been very fortunate now to get my body to a really good state again, my mind to a really good state where um, when I go back, I've kind of hit the reset button. So however many years I have left, it's not cumulatively on top of what I did the first part of my career, but I kind of you know got to to reverse the clock a little bit for this second portion we got the same mission of creating a healthier fire service when you imagine that what exactly does that look like to you i have a lot of special forces people on it's funny i've heard i've heard some comments like oh that that's the podcast where the guy just gets crossfit and special forces soldiers like no there's (laughs) there's there's some awesome firefighters but i like to look outside our our you know um, career field for people that have answers um, but it really it just boils down to create an environment, like I said, that sets us up for success. And we still have the same kind of framework as the fire service of yesteryear where we really were sitting around playing cards and waiting for that call once a shift, you know. But as you and I know, the fire service that we live in today is completely different. I mean, I've always done the fire and EMS together. I'm a fire medic. Um, and you know, the call loads of most of these departments now is pretty much 24 seven. You know, if you're on for 24, you're going to be running most of 24. And, you know, even if you're not, you know, that you don't sleep properly in a bunk room when you're waiting to have the shit scared out of you Mm -hmm. by the alarm. So 
to me, the first thing that we need to address is the actual work week. And, and I think the 24-hour shift is pertinent for the fire service. I really do. I think by the time we go in there, we do, you know, we do a proper checkout. We, we do training. You know, we, we work out. It, it's already 12 hours in. So you know, I don't think that 212s is good from that point of view. And then 212s is also shown to be the worst type of shift schedule there is as well because your circadian rhythm never – never settles in it's always being changed um but the one i talk about at the moment is a 24 72 because you need to give these men and women the recovery time and the northeast does a 40 42 hour work week uh brian ohio boca raton here in florida um so there are a lot of departments already doing that so to me that is the first thing and then staffing your department properly to ask a dispatch center a you know a law enforcement um agency fire department to not only work those hours but then tell them they can't go home you know over and over and over again you got to do another 12 another 24 is it's just horrendous and not only is it terrible for those people and, and their families you know how many people have missed their kids birthday parties you know because they they got forced that day um but it's terrible for their health and it's terrible for the service because when you're sleep deprived 24 hours of being awake you're at the same as a blood alcohol of 0.1, which is above, you know, over the legal limit, and we're driving around. That's one shift. So you imagine what two slap together does, and then you imagine cumulatively. Um, so for me, of course, you know, exercise is very important. Setting the bar very high at the door is very important. But if we just address the sleep issue in the fire service and you know, staff these departments properly, create a, a fourth shift, um, then we will, I, to me, I personally think that we will overhaul our physical health and all the diseases that we see and the mental health issues as well. I think we'll, we'll take so many of those away. Mm -hmm. I tend to agree with you that the sleep deprivation and the shift work sleep disorder is the number one health concern in the fire service. What would that one extra day do as far as, you know, in Ohio, we work 24 on 48 off, but like you said, 2472 would give you that one more day of recovery. So what, what would that do as far as health outcomes? Yeah, so just to kind of preface that, to make sure, because I I don't masquerade myself as, as uh, an expert in anything. You know, I get people saying, "Oh, you should go do you know do talks around the country," I'm like, but I'm not the I'm not the expert. I, that the whole point of me is to be a conduit to bring these experts on, ask them questions. I'm a perpetual student, but bring them to the audience. So some of the people I brought on are the sleep experts for the Navy SEALs, for, for the Navy, for the Army, for elite athletes in the world, and they all say the same thing. There's a direct correlation between sleep deprivation and mental health. There's a direct correlation between sleep deprivation and musculoskeletal injury, between sleep deprivation and heart disease, cancer. So they are all from completely different arenas and all you know aligning with the same philosophy. So... The extra day, and I, and I pose this to them, because obviously we've got to work. You know, We can't say, oh, we'll work once a month. Um, but just by doing that extra day, you come off shift. One of the worst things that we ever say in our profession is, oh, we work um, one day on, two days off. Bullshit. You know, a, a work day is an eight-hour day. That's accepted by everyone. Mm -hmm. So in a 24-hour shift, you've done three days work. And then you know, when you come off, you've already done that eight-hour day and that, that second second you know calendar day so you get off at 8 a.m you've done another eight hour day there so really it's three days on one day off so we've got to start by programming that which um uh you know basically equates to um eight hours every single day so you know we say oh we only work 10 days a month actually when you look at it you work 30 days a month you know it's it's, it's a numbers game um so by adding that middle one, instead of you come off shift, you, you, you've worked. That's not a day off. That's that day you get off, you've already worked that day. So you've only really got that following day off. It's a true day off. But we all know, come late afternoon, you're already st starting to think about packing your gear. What, am I, you know, what food am I going to take to the station? I've got to shave, you know, all these kind of things. Um, and then off you go. So you don't sleep that well. Most of us can't afford to live in the cities that we work in so we end up commuting you know an hour or whatever it is um so by adding that middle day for 72 you've got one true day where you woke up in your bed and you get to go to sleep without thinking tomorrow morning i've got to wake up and go right back to work 
So I think that really is what it is, is that one true, true recovery day in between the shifts. Um, so that it, it's still a 42 hour work week. It's still more than most people work. But I think that is what we need to push towards instead of kind of, you know, piecemealing like Kelly days or trying to, you know, it's even worse trying to reconfigure a 56 hour work week to try and make it look prettier when it's still a 56 hour work week. Playing devil's advocate from a leader standpoint, would you have to hire a whole nother crew of guys and would that stretch the budget too thin? Um, so I love that question because the, the answer to me, uh, the layman, is is pretty simple. Um, most of us, if you if you are, for example, in a department where you have a Kelly day, obviously you would give that up in lieu of changing the schedule because overall you'd be working less still. Um, so there is, it's not a full shift in most departments. It ends up being, I think, like two thirds of a shift that you'd have to hire. But my argument to this is, Every department is riddled with workman's comp injuries, with medical disability, with mistakes we made, therefore resulting in lawsuits. So you have two choices. You can either spend all that money at the end with your broken people. And, you know, obviously the morale is obviously very low, the more sleep deprived and the more overworked people are. Or you can be progressive like, you know, Richard Branson and Google and some of these highly respected people in the business world and actually invest in your people and front load your budget so that you don't have a lot of these issues down the road. And if you look at um, O2X and some of these other wellness organizations that have been embraced by some departments, you look at the huge amount of money that they are saving these departments, it's economically sound as well. So would you have to you know, put some money up front? Well, of course, you know, you're investing in your people. But the same way as if we need to you know, build a new road, is it going to cost money at the front? Yeah. Are you going to make it back in tolls eventually? Absolutely. So it's no different with a fire department, but you need a leader with, you know, for lack of a better word, with a set of balls or a female you know, version of to actually say, I'm not going to try and make myself look good in my two, three year tenure, but I'm actually going to invest in this department, make a very progressive change. That is then down the road going to create a much healthier, much higher functioning fire department. Yeah, I think that schedule would have a phenomenal impact on the fire service. For example, where I work, 24 on 48 off, we don't have Kelly days or any of that stuff. Just 24 on 48 off. And I know for a fact that, you know, bringing this up to the administration, it would never happen. So for us, what can we do to control some of the damage? I mean, I know a lot of this stuff is out of our control. We're going to be up at night and we're going to be sleep deprived. Yeah, well, I think saying I disagree with the never because I think if you you change enough minds eventually through osmosis, it will happen. Even if you're the last fire department in the world to to change, you know, if everyone else is doing it, eventually that ripple effect is gonna is gonna kick in. Um, so I think when we, you know, all our union um, yeah meetings and and contract negotiations, we need to be looking at this because the uh, you know what's what's what good is it that you've got a pay raise and you end up dying. Two, you know, two years after you retire. And this is what happens. Our profession is dying on average 12 years younger than the average civilian, which that statistic sounds bad. But then when you look at the men and women standing on that grinder day one of their career, this is not your average civilian. This is someone who's mentally and physically much more resilient on average. Mm -hmm. So they're probably projected to live a lot longer. So we can chase the money you know, and let these administrations bully us or we can actually band together and stand up for working conditions, which is what a union is supposed to be about fundamentally in the first place. Um, so before I you know, to talk about the other stuff, I say don't ever give up. You know, we, we just because they they say you know, it'll never happen. Like I said, even if you get people that don't care about their people and human life, which sadly those people exist in you know political environments then you you put it from a, a budgetary you know standpoint and you get these people and you get these figures and you get these uh administrators to realize that they're going to save money that you know may steer the ship even if you know the, the the health of their people doesn't um but in the interim while we're changing things um then you know the 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 incorporation of a, a wellness program i think is very important and that should be incorporated with you know the peer uh, you know, peer fitness and um, uh, peer support groups as well, because they, we separate mental and physical health, but they're completely interrelated. Um, 
so you can do it with very little money too. There's, there's always a focus of, oh, we've got to buy, you know, huge amounts of equipment for gyms everywhere. Sandbags and sleds are, you know, and, and some kettlebells can fundamentally, you know, overhaul your, your fire department. So I, I think what I did in my last one was I actually just put together small classes and we talked about, you know, real basic nutrition, like clean food versus dirty food, put some, um, like I said, the sleds and sandbags and, and kettlebells, exercises that don't intimidate people. Like if we put an Olympic lifting class on trying to get people to snatch, you know, A, you probably get people hurt, and then B, it would terrify people because they don't want to look stupid. The sleds and the sandbags and some of these basic ones that mimic the exact thing that we do, you take away that fear, it gets buy-in of a lot of people that are maybe not owning their health. So that is another, you know, side of the, of the, you know, the the puzzle, as it were, to improve our our wellness. But I, again, that wellness needs to be incorporated, you know, 360. So it can't just be fitness or strength and conditioning. It has to be talking about sleep, talking about mental health, really getting some people that you guys know have been through it, if they're comfortable to to, to stand up and, and tell their story. Because the number of people I've heard that have talked about their mental health. Uh, in some capacity, their brothers and sisters come out the woodwork then with their own stories. They were just looking for someone, you know, to kind of be the beacon to give them permission to to talk as well. So, so you know, there, there's so many elements of this, but a wellness, a good wellness department in a a fire department, police department, you know, even dispatch center, whatever it is, is imperative alongside trying to improve the working conditions. Right. Yeah, I think all wellness programs should consist of, I like to use the EMS method where you cover eating, moving, and sleep and stress management. You have to take a holistic approach. I believe in root cause recognition followed by root cause resolution. So starting with diet, what are we getting wrong and what can we do to fix it? First thing I think we're doing wrong is we're overcomplicating food. I mean, it really, one of the best kind of ways of thinking about food to me is what would your great grandparents have eaten? Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, the 1800s, they had diet nailed down, um, but they didn't have refrigerators or, or fridges, oh, excuse me, or freezers. So there wasn't just, you know, running to that and eating whenever you want. Um, you know, the, the food, the, the, the fruits and vegetables weren't covered in chemicals. The animals weren't being kept in warehouses where they couldn't move. And, you know, chickens weren't breaking their legs because they were growing so fast because of the hormones. So to me, firstly, going and buying what our generation was led to believe hippie food when we were younger, i.e. food that hasn't been fucked with, <laughs> for lack of a better word, um, is the first thing. So taking out the processed food, if it was made in a factory, if it's food light product, you know, it's not, it's going to more, more than likely it's going to harm your body instead of heal your body. So the clean meats, the clean fishes, um, you know, fruits and vegetables that are organic. Organic is not a hippie word. It means it hasn't been sprayed with with horrendous stuff so keeping that simple and not buying refined starches refined sugars that's it you know drink a lot of water um and then obviously the 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 when you eat i think is a, a big thing as well and i really like the intermittent excuse me the intermittent fasting approach i do not time myself or anything like that but i found now i try and eat my dinner around six or seven when i wake up in the morning i normally do an 8 a.m crossfit class so by the time i eat it's about 10. So that's uh, in a 15-ish window, which I think mirrors how we would have been you know, from 100 years ago back, where you didn't just have instant access to food the moment you woke up. You probably had to go and pick it or you know, get it from the garden or hunt it. Um, and then the, the protein consumption, I really like Julian Pinot's, um view of it, where that was normally later in the day, because if we were a hunter-gatherer society, Obviously, the meat isn't going to, you know, keep. So usually, if you watch any National Geographic type show, the the hunters bring the food back in the evening. So I like that. So you couple that with, you know, uh, lots of vegetables and and don't eat your carbs and vegetables at the same time. Uh, so yeah, some some very basic concepts. But I think the first thing is removing processed food and investing that money that you would have spent on, let's say, a lot of meat. And buy quality instead of quantity. And 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 you can go to places. We have one here called Earth Fair. That their grass-fed clean meat is actually almost the same price as the the crappy meat you get in other stores. 
And I love that you said we're overcomplicating things. It's so true. And there are so many things on duty that are out of our control, but what we eat is always in our power. So sticking to those, like you said, those ancestrally aligned foods, the organic plants and the pastured animals. And it's great too for the inconsistent mealtimes in the fire service, you know, when you're on duty and you get a run. It's so great when you're fat adapted and you're not relying on three square meals a day. If you miss a meal, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. I think in, in real world, you wouldn't have had one meal at eight, one meal at one, one meal at you know six. It would have been you know, sporadic depending on the whole feast and famine philosophy. But uh, yeah, I mean, and just to, to in our uh, professions, police, fire, EMS, in their defense, the, the way we do shifts, and again, the sleep deprivation messes with your hormones. It, it destroys testosterone, for example. It makes you, um, it messes with your, your insulin as well. So you do end up craving the caffeines, the sugars. There's a reason why police are, you know, made fun of for the coffee and donuts, because that actually is a scientific thing from the sleep deprivation. So don't also beat yourself up about food. Just, you know, the, I think the, the pre-packed meals are great, but also you have to eat together. So when you show your firehouse that a clean meal can really taste delicious and you, you know, you eat together, but you, you choose a, a recipe that actually is going to do you some good as well. Um, I think that's a, that's a big thing because there's that whole myth that, you know, healthy food doesn't taste good. And the reality is when you really kind of re recalibrate your taste buds the healthy food tastes so much better than the processed crap the insulin resistance that comes with this job when you're sleep deprived you're pretty much type 2 diabetic you know the odds are not sacked in your favor but we're obviously trying to do our best switching gears here and moving on to how do you move more on duty instead of in between runs sitting around and being sedentary yeah well the sit sitting is the the big word so not even so much for caloric expenditure but the the postural damage that sitting does so trying not to sit as much i think is the first thing you know even if you're you know you, whatever you're doing even if you're on your phone we i was very lucky in my last station we actually had a, a track behind the station and i have to give credit to it wasn't our fire wellness it was actually the the uh, department wellness people but they implemented a program where they got a free, very basic Fitbit. And then if they you know, did so many steps, then uh, the insurance company actually gave them incentives and they got Amazon cards. So you would see people walking while they were on their phone, either a phone call or texting. That's a great thing. Anything you can do on your feet rather than sitting, try and do. You know, if you're typing a report, stick the tough book up on, on a higher surface and try and type your report standing. Mm -hmm. But because, I mean, the... You know, we talk about the always moving around. That's important. But as you and I both know, really, when it comes to, you know, controlling your weight, it's way more about the food than it is the moving. Um, working out as a crew, obviously, is a huge thing when it comes to moving. But, yeah, trying not to be in that seated position. I think we sit a lot more than we realize. And that is absolutely a precursor to a lot of the, the joint injuries that we have, the shoulders, the back, the knees because our pelvis gets turned as we're in that kind of semi-fetal position sitting. Um, and that then, you know, you, you wake up at 3 a.m., you go to pick that patient up. Had you been standing or doing like an Asian squat type seated position for most of your life, it doesn't matter. You're 55, 60, you still be able to be picking them up fine. But the way we sit and sit and sit and then go, you know, and, and have to pick a patient up, that's why you see so many injuries in the fire service. Two things that I like to do are when training is over, when chores are done, and in between runs, I like to walk around the firehouse. I wish we had a track like you mentioned. That would be great. I call that station strolls. You know, put your headphones in, walk around the firehouse, listen to podcasts like Behind the Shield. Just make sure your volume's low enough that you can hear runs when they come in. Also, I like to do what I call return reps. So whenever you return from training or from the grocery store or from a run, you do as many reps as you can of push-ups or pull-ups or dips or something like that. Just to, You'll find that they add up, and it's also fun to do as like a competition with the rest of your crew. Yeah, absolutely. And even just things, you know, like go throw some ladders or, or tie some knots, anything that gets you out of that seat. Because, you know, once you're done with that report, you're already sitting down. Now you're going to pick up your phone, and you're going to get sucked down the, the YouTube rabbit hole or, you know, Jerry Springer reruns or whatever it is. And, yeah, just, just – 
when you do that, it's going to kind of reset your mind too. you know, staring at a screen for a long time is not good for your eyes either. Um, especially at night, if you're not wearing the blue blocking glasses, then it's going to keep you wide awake. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We used to, a few of us in my last apartment, we'd throw on a pack and then that track and we just walk. And sometimes we walk miles because we'd be talking and talking before we knew it, we'd been, you know, walking for an hour and it wasn't quote unquote to get fit. It was just to to kind of break that cycle and just move for a bit and then you're probably going to find that you'll sleep better too between calls so you're a crossfit coach and you also hold a degree in exercise physiology how should we be training to be fit for duty and to help avoid some of these cardiac events from overexertion and heat stress yeah yeah i think the the you've probably heard me talk this talk about this quite a lot in, in some of the interviews we we have allowed our profession to really lower that bar in some departments. Some departments are doing it incredibly well, but um, in other departments, to allow that bar to come lower and lower and lower. I just did the CPAT yesterday, um, you know, and 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 I'm 45, and you know, I remember thinking that seeing this in in uh, a couple of departments ago that I worked at. You know, people will be fighting and fighting and finally get that you know 10 minute and 19 second pass time, and then that was it. They're like, all right, I'm done now. You know, and and that's the problem is what we're expected to do in the real world is no different than a Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger when it comes to, you know, the the extreme level lives hanging in the balance. So the first thing is understanding what we're expected to do. So there's always this focus now of, well, we've got to be gentle. We've got to get these guys that were, you know, deconditioned back up to par. Absolutely. But the goal still needs to be your end goal is is high. So not, you know, not kind of fooling yourself first into uh, 10 minutes on the on the uh, elliptical machine and I'm going to be good. No, you know, you got to look at what's expected of you. So the tools that I love to use in in the departments I've worked at when I have coached are, like I mentioned, the sandbags, the sleds. I love the, the 100 foot rope where you pull the sled towards you. Um, it's great for grip strength and upper body strength. Kettlebells are amazing. A simple Russian swing is fantastic, but also a suitcase carry, you know, carrying in one hand or a farmer's carry, one in each hand. Um, so it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be a high skill movement. I think quite the opposite. It needs to mirror what we do, but we have to, you know, also work our way up. Wherever you are, if you're deconditioned, then obviously you've got a longer journey and start slow and start light. But we have to understand that we are required to have a high level of strength and a high level of fitness. Not anything crazy, but at least be able to move the tools that we down, you know, know damn well that we're required to move, whether it's the ladders, the hose, the dummies, and not the <laughs> not the 2019 65-pound dummy, the real-world American you know, two, 200-plus dummy that you're probably going to need to pull, whether it's your partner or whether it's a civilian. And it may not be, you know, you on your own, but it might be. You know, if it's you and someone else doing a search and your partner goes down, your partner plus, you know, 50 pounds of gear is what you're going to have to be able to drag. So um, I think that's it is keeping the movement simple because if the other thing about sleds and sandbags there's no because there's no skill movement you really get to challenge your physical and your mental toughness so if i give you a sandbag and say go to that cone and come back the only limiting factor is when you quit and you decide to let go and obviously muscular failure is going to be part of it but that's a lot less part than people realize but if i give you you know a, a, tell you to do a a turkish get up that's a high skill movement it's a great movement but it does take some time to learn and it's going to be intimidating and you're probably not going to get much out of it initially. So, But if, again, if I give you a sled and tell you push over to that cone and then push it back or drag it back, pull the straps out and drag it back, that's no difference than advancing a, char a charged hose line and then dragging the person back. So I think that to me is what I've seen with the success is find relatable movements that aren't intimidating but also don't mislead people into thinking – Oh, you know, you 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 did this amount that basically I'd expect a you know 50 year old person in the YMCA to be able to do. You are also a tactical athlete, so we need to keep pushing that bar to truly get to a point where when the shit hits the fan, when your life might be in the balance of someone else's, that you're able to perform. 
Right. So we're training specifically and we're doing these functional movements. That's really key. And the other thing is I don't think you can rely or should rely on your fire department to keep you fit. It is your responsibility. Even like off duty, you have to find ways to move more. You You probably should be strength training and doing some high intensity stuff. I'm not a big fan of chronic cardio or the steady state cardio but I think everyone should strength train and, and incorporate some sprints into their lives. Do you dabble at all in wearable technology and biohacking, like as far as like maybe some heart rate variability? Um, I don't. I think it's great. And that's the beautiful thing about the podcast. I'm, I'm up to 216 episodes now. Wow. And I, I look at it like an immersion project. So, you know, one guy might be a powerlifter. Another woman might be a, a triathlete. You know, someone else might be sedentary and hasn't worked out. Everyone can dive in, but they can, you know, the, the, I love that Bruce Lee quote, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless. That's exactly it. So I don't have anything against wearable technology. My wife loves her Fitbit and it absolutely works and it's got her moving around. I personally can't stand wearing anything I don't wear. I, even my wedding ring comes off the moment I can. Um, so, but I think there's a lot of value. I just think there's a danger if you're not careful of, paying too much attention to statistics and exterior um, input rather than just listening to your body. So, you know, when when we were younger, there was the, when the, the heart rate ones first came out, you got to stay in, in this heart range. When, I mean, that's all well and good, and that probably is a great motivator to some people. But then other people say, well, if you're able to hold a conversation while you're running, then you're at this point. If you're not, you're at this point. I like that. I can feel in my body, you know, where my level of exertion is. Um, but that being said, it's it's horses for courses, as they say. So everyone is different. Some people really thrive by using that electronic feedback. Other people, you know, just want to be in the woods running barefoot. You know, there's that whole spectrum. Um, so. I'm a fan of anything that works, anything that motivates people. And then if they want that progression, if they need that um, that kind of graph of their improvement, then it's a great way of doing that. Yeah, I think a combination of this wearable technology and the science, heart rate variability combined with your primal intuition is an incredible tool for firefighters and new recruits in the fire academy in making smarter training decisions and preventing illness and injury. I mean, once you start using HRV and it can tell you if you're overstressed and overworked and you need to take it easy that day, or if you're rested and recovered and that's a good day to go hard, that can help you prevent, you know, being sick a couple times a year or getting injured. So I think heart rate variability should be, it's a tool that every firefighter should look into. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Learn about it, you know, try it. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, then at least you gave it a go. And I think that's the big thing. And the same with just going back to the uh, the incentive in my old department. Me personally, I could have you know made literally hundreds of dollars in Amazon cards, but I chose not to because I don't want that attack, you know, that that connection to statistics. I don't want something you know buzzing at me and telling me I've, I need to do more steps or whatever. But that's just me, and I'm you know I'm I'm also someone that does all my workouts barefoot. You know, I'm I'm a uh, that's I'm on my own path, but there's some of these technologies that really are, are just useless, you know. But then there's some, um, you know, the Fitbit and then some of the other ones that they have that absolutely have value, and and the heart rate variability is definitely a good marker. I I again try and tune into how I feel, but that's taken time as well. And and I think that if uh, if you're able to follow that and you see a good correlation between what you're told and how you feel then I think it's, yeah, it's, it's another good tool for people to look into and try. Mm -hmm. Throughout your career, did you work for any departments with stellar wellness programs? Was there any that stood out as far as a proper program? Um, so I've, I've been around a few and like you said, part of it is ownership. You know, there's, there's a certain big, big part of wellness where it is on the crew. So I don't want to, it shouldn't all be on the wellness department. The one Orange County has a great facility called the Fit Pit. And some of the firefighters started, and actually, my one of my chiefs, uh, Chief Seagrass, that was on a few episodes ago, um, he was instrumental in in implementing that. Um, but uh, so that was a great facility because it was a kind of central location where everyone in the county could go. Uh, they had you know instructors that were certified in CrossFit and um, you know other other types of exercise. Um, and then they also did an annual um, 
an annual fitness test, which was the IPAT, and then they did an annual kind of wellness test where you would do strength tests and you do um, you know a, a run and all those kind of things. So all those things combined, I thought they did it very well. And their last chief, Chief Droads, who just stepped down, he was a huge uh, you know fan of that as well. Um, Anaheim in California. It was funny. They didn't really have an organized wellness program there when I was there. However, because they set the bar so high at the at the front door, so you know, you literally, you'd start with a with a full class, and by the time we got to our probation probationary year end, about twenty five percent of the class was gone through attrition. So that indirectly created a great wellness just from them being self stars. So even though there wasn't a a an organized wellness um, group in that particular department when I was there, every single station would work out. You know what I mean? So there was that balance there. Um, the one we tried to do in my last department was came from a really good place, and we did we did talks on sleep, we did talks on mental health, all kinds of stuff, and we got some great, great equipment. Um, but it was there was a lot of resistance to it because the bar was set very low at the front door. So even though you had these highly driven men and women really trying to raise raise the department up, there was a lot of um, naysaying and, and, and resistance from a lot of the people in the department because they didn't want to be held accountable. They didn't want to be told that, you know, <laughs> that they were required to be fit, that they need to be able to climb, you know, the, the, the buildings in their first due. So I think, you know, ultimately the best would be a combination of a strong, strong um, – standard when you first hire where that's when you have a chance to weed out the you know the people that just didn't really shouldn't be in 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 this profession or maybe aren't ready yet haven't trained enough and then with the support once you get those men and women in there with some great wellness information how they can maintain that great uh, fitness that they walked in with and really learn about some of the other avenues of wellness whether it's sleep or hrv or those those uh other subjects that we're not taught so much when we're when we're training for this profession. Yeah, I was saying I think it would be so cool to see a first responder wellness center in every city consisting of a functional medicine practitioner and health coaches and personal trainers, cognitive behavioral therapists, where people can go off duty and get help and meet other firefighters, you know, like-minded firefighters and work out together and build camaraderie. It would be so great to see something like that. Yeah, and I think with the bigger departments, some some people, I, I hear departments that are being very progressive. They have mental health counselors that are, you know, hired by their department. So they actually are used to treating us. So they don't burst into tears when we tell them our, you know, deepest and darkest, you know, uh, thoughts and dreams. Um and uh, I think the same with, with some of these departments with the physical side as well. And I think a lot of people say, oh, well, our department's too small. Well, Anaheim, when I worked there, they had this great relationship with all the departments around them. And we always trained together, you know, the fire training and the EMS training. So there's no reason why you couldn't do the same thing with you know, mental and, and physical fitness and have a center that you all go to that's kind of central to, to all the cities that are around you. So let's talk about stress for a minute. Chronic stress is a killer and occupational stress is at the root of burnout. Do you have any stress management techniques and what can we do to avoid becoming so jaded? Yeah, so again, the, the, I really feel like a lot of the jadedness, I mean, there's no question, organizational stress is a big thing. Trust me, I <laughs> that was my, my bane in the last place that I worked. Um, but part of the jaded, again, is the sleep. Like, you know, you, you, you watch that young couple that was always so vibrant and happy and they have their first child fast forward six months, <laughs> they got the red eyes and you know, that that's what happens to us, but over 10, 20, 30 years. So the sleep thing, again, that, that fixes that, you know, has, has a huge impact on the stress level and the, you know, the overall, um, mental wellness of the department, but Exercise is another great thing to deal with stress. As we get more burnt out and tired, you know, we, we want to exercise less. And like you were saying earlier, you know, with the HRV, that's when you need to identify that 
you need to work out and move, but you need to deregulate what, you know, you know, lower the, the, the intensity of what you were going to do. So instead of doing a crazy, you know, CrossFit workout, maybe you just strap on a, a pack and walk around or, you know, jump rope or row at a low intensity. Or if you, if you're one of these departments as close to a, a school pool, go swim, you know, whatever, whatever you're able to do that, We'll get the blood pumping, you know, get the heart rate up, but just at a certain level. So then you can kind of flush out some of those stress hormones and, and try and restore some of the balance. Um, but the big other thing that I talk to a lot of people about is is the mental practice, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation. I love the app Headspace. I had Andy Puttacombe, the founder, on on my uh, podcast a while ago. But these these meditation apps – you get it on your phone. Let's be honest. We've all got a phone strapped to us 24-7 these days. Um, but it's a 10-minute guided meditation. So you can do it you know, in, in your bunk with the headphones on. You can do it you know, in, in the, a quiet space in, in the station. Go outside if you've got some grassy areas, whatever it is. But I really liked it just overall to do that, but especially when you get those calls later in the night and you, and you just want to be able to down-regulate and try and get some sleep again. It was so good, just 10 minutes lying in your bunk, and you know I'd drift off before it even finished. So I think that's a big, big thing is the mental practice. We are on edge. We're sleep deprived. You know, we're we're obviously harboring some of the things that we see. You know, we're we're not always eating the right things. So that stress is just piled and piled and piled. So that's what we can do. And then the organizational stress is another one. So. It's a very, I think it's the hardest thing for us to fix in the fire service is when people are in positions that they have no business being in and they cause so much turmoil in the department. And I've seen, like I said, I've seen great, great department where I would follow everyone, you know, um, officer wise above me into a fire. And I've had other ones where I would do the complete opposite of what they said because I know they had no experience in the field whatsoever. Um, so trying to address that too, try and, and I think that's again, a thing that you have to do at the front door. If you low, if you have your bar so low, these people that have no business being firefighters, they're going to be chiefs one day. And I've witnessed the absolute, uh, just disaster that, that you can, uh, impose on a, on a fire department if you get to that level. So that's the thing it's kind of one of the elephants in the room, but really setting your standards so that you don't promote anyone that really has no business being there because that affects hundreds or even thousands of men and women that are putting their lives on the line. And now you're creating this extra stress in an already very stressful profession. EMS has become sort of like factory work where you take run after run, report after report. Obviously, there's room for improvement in this system. What are your thoughts on the current state of EMS and the increasing call volume? Yeah, I think I think the issue with EMS is like the issue with AFAs. You know, there are just some calls that we shouldn't be going on. Now, AFAs in the real world are different, but where I worked you got more information from an AFA than you did from an EMS call, which was completely backwards. But they knew right off the bat that it was a false alarm, and yet they still sent the crew. You know, that's ridiculous. If you know it's a false alarm, you send the, you know, the alarm company and, and they reset it. You know, they had, they had a prevention group that did it as well. Um, but I think the same is with EMS, is we, we have allowed EMS in this country to be dictated by those once-in-a-blue-moon cases where – you know, Mrs. Jones called and it was a hangnail and she died from a stroke caused by a hangnail. You know, the reality is we have, you know, the the Omega through um, Delta calls for a reason. They, they're, you know, we ask questions and we find out is there a likelihood of it actually being an emergency. If it is, then we throw on our gear, we take it seriously, we get there as fast as we can. But, you know, the, the 3 a.m. tummy aches should not be warranting an emergency call you know if you've got other symptoms that okay this is more than just you know constipation okay fair enough but we're sending our men and women to calls that are not emergencies and we have to fix that whether it's putting in you know the these physician's assistant or nurse practitioners on on rigs that you see in these days but we're also filling up our hospitals with people that don't need to be there too so i think we need to really look at the way that we classify and and we just have to have some some balls as well backing up not responding to emergency calls if it's not an emergency you know and and we just respond to everything for the fear of lawsuits and if there's any 
element in any of these questioning that there's an emergency, we need to go and then rule it out. If it's not, fine. But I went to one, one of my funniest calls I went on was there was this guy and he called 911 because he got new dentures and he didn't like the way they tasted. Whoa. Yeah. And we've all got those stories. We should never, we should never even have those stories because we should never have gone to them. I know I got a friend of mine that responded to a bird in a tree. Yep. You know what I mean? So th- that those are the ones I think that are that are, are burning our people out because no one has a problem with responding to a cardiac arrest or a choking or a respiratory emergency at 3 a.m. But you know that that infected wound that starts weeping at 3 a.m. It can wait till 7 a.m. when you go to a clinic. You know what I mean? So that that I think is what we really need to do is 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 not be so terrified of lawsuits, stand behind our people, stand behind our EMS system and do what we are paid to do, which is respond to emergencies. Right. And I think even report writing needs to go away. I know the court system goes, you have to write a report for each patient. But I think that really takes a toll on patient care because you're so worried about falling behind on reports. And also, I think telemedicine needs to become more available to these patients. Instead of calling 911, maybe they call 811 and they get to speak to a doctor and that doctor can assess them online. But there has to be something done to get to the root cause of such high call volume and it's only getting worse. Yeah, yeah. I think with the reports, my last place was an environment where it was a, it was a theme park environment and they had resorts so their employees were called 911 for people that just wanted a Tylenol that you know just that they would they were surprised when we showed up you know that was ridiculous as well and every so there'd be a lot of refusals and every refusal was more paperwork to me than a lot of the transports you know because you kind of you know pass on the responsibility to the hospital then and you know if it's a refusal it should be a refusal you know, unless unless it's a refusal, and and you're like, no, no, you really should go to the hospital. But you get there, you know, and they they just tweak their ankle and they're fine. And you gave them a cold pack. That shouldn't warrant, a, you know, a 30 minute report. It's ridiculous. You know, if they say, you know, I'm good. The patient had a, a rolled ankle. Everything else is good. That should be it. But we've got these people that are terrified because they're going to be dragged in court. And the irony to me is this: when we when we do refusals, I don't know if you guys listening had the same issue, but when we give them the tough book and they sign, my last department and the current one, it doesn't even capture the signature properly. So the moment they go to court, to me, I would go, well, that's not even my signature. You know what I mean? So it kind of negates the entire thing anyway. So I think it's almost a kind of facade of this, oh, if we do these in-depth reports, then we're going to be fine. If you do your job properly, you know, you should be able to stand behind it. If you go outside your scope of practice, then obviously you're going to be in trouble. But again, this lawsuit mentality has got people so scared that we're scared to do our job, scared to push you know, certain drugs, scared to not write a freaking war and peace report. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it's burning our people out on calls that really, you know, some of them they shouldn't even be going to in the first place. And rightfully so. No one wants to get sued. So it would feel great to know that your department has your back. So just a couple more questions for you, James. What challenges remain for you? Is there a final boss that still needs defeated? Um, well, just going back first, I mean, the thing is, I, I, you know, stepped away when I was 44, which, um, you know, from from a career path, I never anticipated moving departments. Like when my my dream department was California, I loved it there. I was a tillerman on a truck, had a crew that was so tight. I actually had an interview with them um, on the podcast. I went back and we sat down. And so part of it is is refinding that, you know, finding that crew again, and, and really, finishing up you know a few more years in the fire service but then with this podcast it's really just trying to trying to make a difference like we respond i tell people this when, I, when i'm at work i respond to one call at a time and i sit in a seat you know, and I'm, I'm part of a crew and, and we mitigate one disaster at a time but it's very reactive as well as you know the person that you're you know pounding on their chest and intubating it's basically too late you know that's the reactive side but the other side when i'm coaching at the gym is is proactive i'm able to to implement knowledge and 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 train these people where hopefully they don't end up in that position until they're completely at the end of their life and elderly and had a, a fulfilling life but when i go you know just outside the doors where it's here whether it's back home in england and i see the obesity i see the unhappiness despite how affluent and lucky we are in the west 
you know, there's a depression, anxiety, and all this wrong information that the food that they're serving in our schools, that is obviously a huge, broad spectrum. But if a Navy SEAL like Jocko Willink can inspire the, the business world, then why can't we as you know, fire and EMS inspire the world from a health perspective? Because we see what works and we see the lies. We, you know, how many people have died after us fighting to save them that have a, a sack full of meds that were told, you know, given to them, told, oh, this will fix your high blood pressure, this will fix your cholesterol. No, it didn't. You died at 55, you know, morbidly obese, given all the wrong information. So I think the biggest boss is making just a dent in the the lies that our generation has been told, whether it's about our food, about our medicine, and giving these men and women that you, you know, that's heartbreaking that are in these motorized wheelchairs with with the the O2 tank attached to them, you know, and they're again in their fifties, and and try and reverse it where as many members of our society can actually have a healthy life and enjoy this incredible gift of a body and mind that that we were given when we were born. And that's the thing is as first responders, we're seeing what the standard American diet and what conventional medicine has done to society here in America. I mean, it's completely failed. You know, one in one in three Americans has chronic disease and one in four have multiple chronic disease. Something like over 70 percent of the fire service is overweight or obese. And you mentioned earlier, we're dying something like 12 years earlier than most of the public. You know, you're having an incredible impact. You're, you're spreading the word by talking to all of these experts in the field and advocating for firefighter health. If you could have a drink with anyone in history, who would it be and why? Uh, Bruce Lee. Because <laughs> he was my hero when I was little. I had the posters. I used to work out in my punch bag. And I think that he was ahead of his time um, with the martial arts. I mean, MMA is basically Jeet Kune Do, you know, his, his whole philosophy. I think CrossFit is very much aligned to the way he used to work out. So I would love to hear his view now of, of this country and, um, you know, what his 50-year-ahead philosophy would be today. Um, there's so many great people. I mean, uh, uh, God, what's his name? Oh, what am I forgetting now? Who's the guy that did um, Oh, the Places You Go and all those books? Beats me. Uh, <laughs> it'll come to me. Anyway, he's a, a kid's, a kid's uh, author. Charlie Chaplin. I mean, there's there's so many amazing minds that we lost, and it's it's heartbreaking. But yeah, if it could be anyone at all, just because he was such a big part of my life, I think it would be Bruce Lee. I love it. Last question: What are your daily non-negotiables? Things that no matter what will always get done. Um, so my routine now. Um, the the first thing in the morning, I've I have the warm water with lemon and some salt. I think that's awesome. As soon as you wake up, um, is hydration. I take my CBD. I love CBD is amazing. People are terrified of that that product, and there's absolutely if you get the pure CBD. I have one called Red Pill that I use, um, and uh, it's zero THC, so it has nothing to do with any sort of workplace drug test whatsoever. It's the same product that exists naturally in your body. So it's it would be saying, oh, I'm I'm worried about having red blood cells in case they they fail a a drug test, you know. Um, so my CBD and vitamin D I take as well. Um, we get a lot of sunlight here in Florida, but the irony is we hide from it because it's so damn hot in the summer that we're actually not in the sun as much as we think we are. So those are my, my morning ones. Um, the ideal thing I would do was foundation training, which is a movement practice. Um, and then my, my morning CrossFit workout, uh, is usually, usually I work out like four or five times a week. Um, in the evening, in the ideal world, that headspace I talk about is awesome for deregulating. Um, and then when I am at my most disciplined, there's a thing called the five-minute journal that I love to do. You wake up in the morning, uh, you write about what you're grateful for, which is a great way to start the day. And at the end of the day, you write about what was great today and then something that you could have done better. So it really kind of resets the mind in the morning and then offloads some thoughts in the evening so to help you sleep so those if, if if i was at my most disciplined doing all those um and then one thing i love doing is is just a simple green juice once a day as well getting a lot of those micronutrients in my body yeah awesome that sounds like a great routine so any parting words for my listeners and first responders out there the only thing I would say is what you're doing is for free and, and I admire you for that. And so share you know, your podcast and then the same with mine. Mine will always be 
free for everyone listening. I'm obviously trying to, to work on the sponsorship like a lot of podcasters do down the road to cover the costs. But that's matching, for me, matching awesome products that I personally use with the community to try and get them to use them as well. Because, I mean, for example, I just partnered with um, the LifeAid group. Uh, the Focus Aid, which I'm drinking right as we speak, is such a healthy alternative to the horrendous energy drinks. So, so that so, but for me, just share these. You know, these are all completely free. It's information with these. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a great mind, but but a lot of your other guests are great minds in their field, and, and all my guests are as well. And they have taken an hour, two hours to t- to basically pour your heart, their heart out, tell you all their you know their golden nuggets. And all you have to do is literally go to an internet connection and listen. So help, you know, help Nick share this project, help me share Behind the Shield podcast because the answers to so many problems lie in these recordings and just marrying the person who's struggling with the people that have the solutions is my goal for the podcast. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. Where can people go to learn more about you and to follow you? Brilliant. Well, the uh, podcast Behind the Shield is available on all the podcast apps, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, all those ones. Um, the website is my name because Behind the Shield was taken. <laughs> so it's jamesgearing.com. Um, and then it's if you Google Behind the Shield, um, you should be able to find the Instagram handles. But I think it's Behind the Shield 911 on Instagram, be Behind TS 911 on Twitter, which I am awful at using. And then uh, Behind the Shields on Facebook as well. Cool. It's been great talking to you, James. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. It was, it was fun. I appreciate you reaching out to me. All right, brother. Cheers. Thank you all for listening. I really enjoyed that conversation with James, and I hope you did too. Make sure to subscribe to the Prime Philosophy podcast on iTunes and leave me five stars. Shakoba.